Why watch that as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Watch Watch That. So why watch that TV talk? Well, listeners, we've got another TV talk for you. What else do we have around here to give you? <laughs> we love talking about TV and we love it when you chime in and give us your feedback. So, hey, don't forget to visit our website. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know if you think the critic is really on the right track. Hmm. <laughs> I'm completely wrong. You're completely wrong, especially about the last thing we're going to talk about. So Please. some say. But let's first start off with series premiere, which was on HBO. But it's an HBO slash BBC co-production. So we always love it when they get together. It's called Gentleman Jack. Now, I saw the gist of this and gentleman jack is it really a gentleman <laughs> not sure what's going on here <laughs> depends on who you ask now it's 1832 in halifax west uh yorkshire and things are changing because this is the cradle of the evolving industrial revolution and in the midst of this pivotal and complex moment in history is landowner and veritable renaissance woman Anne Lister, who's played by Saran Jones, and who will stop at nothing to ensure that her ancestral home, called Shibden Hall, doesn't end in ruin. Because in the first episode of this series, when Anne returns to the hall after a long time away and after receiving some unwelcome news, she finds it quite underused and undersupervised indeed. And so, after discovering that the land is rich in coal, She decides to transform it with the help of a certain someone who's in the know about such things and about the people that she needs to keep an eye on by opening and running its minds, which also helps to distract her from her absent-minded father, whose own brother knew better than to leave the family land to him, and her insufferable sister, whom in contrast to Anne's feelings for her elderly aunt, she finds challenging. However, Anne's ambitions go beyond merely restoring her own land and fortunes because she also plans to marry well. Mm-hmm. But what does marrying well mean? Well, for Anne, who's an intelligent and witty force of nature and who's straight-backed and clad in black, marrying well means finding the right woman, which is quite daring and dangerous for 19th century England. And with that, Gentleman Jack tells the unconventional story of the real-life Anne Lister and is based on her own decoded diaries, which, by the way, contain over four million words. 
It takes us into the world of English high society during the 1830s, and it focuses on how Anne, who was called Gentleman Jack by the residents of Halifax, interacted with her family, servants, tenants, and industrial rivals, along with, most importantly, her would-be wife, the wealthy heiress Anne Walker, who's played by Sophie Rundle and who lives on the neighboring estate. And of course, there are obstacles and threats both from the inside and from the outside to her burgeoning business and to her personal life and ambitions for her to overcome at every turn. And she's not the only one, not by a long shot. Plus, Anne's a restless spirit. So everyone, including Anne, expects her to leave the hall and its business in someone else's hands for her to oversee from afar until little Ann Walker catches her eye, that is. And so here's the ultimate question. Will Ann Lister achieve all of her dreams and survive to tell the tale? Well, you'll have to watch Gentleman Jack to find out, but keep in mind that Ann was a woman who boldly shattered expectations and who probably would still be doing so if she lived today. And with that, let's talk about this series overall. Please. It was created, written, and co-directed by Sally Wainwright, who also created Last Tango in Halifax and Happy Valley. Oh. So we're in good hands here. In addition, her rather large cast, as led by Saran Jones in the title role, brings historical Halifax to life via lots of different characters with their own motives and secrets. And the result is mostly bold and spirited, music included, which matches Anne's personality. For instance, she talks straight to camera at times. Plus, while they have some fun with their subject matter, things can turn softer and slower when needed. So Gentleman Jack is a mini-series that has soap opera elements in the vein of what you'd expect from PBS's Masterpiece series. However, the novelty of its story doesn't come across as strongly as it could. It doesn't quite capture the feel of just how shocking Anne's life and attitudes were. Even still, that's probably more of a testament to how far much of us have come in almost 200 years, rather than a fault of the show, which is dialogue-driven with lots of banter and knowing looks. So, while Gentleman Jack's stylings prevent it from having a deeper exploration of its subject matter, I'd still call it entertaining. Hmm. Hmm. Well... Let's let's go to Netflix, shall we? <laughs> For another series premiere. This is Chambers. Go to your chambers. <laughs> Do we really want to go to this chamber? I don't know. What is this show about? It's Netflix. There I mean every every day there's something new going on. <laughs> I know. And the way you said chambers, it reminded me of another period. (laughs) Okay. So in this show, Sasha's a 17-year-old on a mission. It's time for her to lose her virginity. Oh. So she says goodbye to her uncle, Frank, who takes care of her and hops in the car with her boyfriend, TJ. They go to a mattress store, which is closed for the night, for the special occasion. How romantic. But... What they don't know is that Sasha's about to have a heart attack. Cut to some time later. Sasha's now back at school after having a heart transplant. And some of her classmates aren't kind, of course. What? What? What is happening? Uh Uh-huh. Look, that's why it's called Chambers. 
<laughs> but she has her friend Yvonne in her corner and TJ's there too. Though he's extra careful with her now, maybe too careful. Even still, they plan to pick up where they left off before she almost lost her life. However, before they can get to that, Sasha meets Ben Lefevre, who's played by Tony Goldwyn. Hmm. Ben's the father of Becky, the girl whose heart saved Sasha's life. So it's awkward. And so when Ben invites Sasha and Frank to his house for dinner, something seems off, but they decide to go anyway. I mean, they have to, this is a TV show. However, before it's dinner time, Sasha starts having visions. She sees Becky and other things before her eyes, but is the vision real or a dream or something else? And then on the way to dinner, a strange woman bangs on their truck and says, you don't want her in you. Indeed. <laughs> but that's just the beginning because at the dinner, Sasha and Frank meet Becky's mother, Nancy, played by Uma Thurman. Oh, boy. Who's understandably still in grief. There's Becky's teenage brother, Elliot, too, who's predictably angsty and who has his own problems to work through. And from there, Chambers takes viewers on various twists and turns, which I won't give away, as Sasha, after being visited by those visions one too many times, decides to get to the bottom of just what led to the death of her donor, just what killed Becky, and why do people seem to be lying about it? Now look, I gotta tell you, <laughs> that from the beginning of Chambers, <laughs> I didn't have the best of feelings. Okay. Everything just seemed a bit heavy-handed from the music to the occasional use of slow motion. It just screamed teen drama and not the good kind, mixed with a bad horror mystery. I mean, the writing at times is enough to make the angels weep. Okay. And the cast, as a result, just can't break free of it and the pacing, and that includes Tony and Uma and Lily Taylor. Oh, no. The mystery, horror, suspense stylings are just too suffocating. So I gotta say that to be able to watch Chambers for any significant amount of time, you'd have to be so interested in its premise that nothing else matters. And while I'm sure that some people will find a few parts of its story intriguing, its execution is just too tiresome for me to care. Call Becky with the good heart. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I forgot how to say this show again. <laughs> Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Constantinople. Chernobyl. Okay, so this is a miniseries on HBO. And the reason why I, I confessed I did forget um, about it, because I, I did not know the story behind this. It, apparently, I slept through it. I don't know what's going on here. But uh, the... I don't know if we should call this a sneak peek or not. It's actually a sneak peek because the critic got a chance to see two episodes, the first two episodes at the Tribeca Film Festival this week uh, or last week as a taping. And yes, it is going to be a mini series. Yes, it's on HBO, but it starts May 6th. So not this week, but the week after. But what is Chernobyl about? And are we excited to finish the series? Well, uh, the date is April 26th, 1986. Where was I? <laughs> <laughs> the location, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Ukraine, Soviet Union. The event, 
Well, most of us know what that event is, right? <laughs> Apparently, not all of us. <laughs> and at the center of it all is Valery Legasov, played by Jared Harris, who's a leading Soviet nuclear physicist. You see, after the massive nuclear explosion at Chernobyl that subsequently released radioactive material across Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia, reaching as far away as Scandinavia and Western Europe, Valery joined the response team and was one of the first people to understand just how bad the accident actually was, could, and would be. And as we find out at the very beginning of this miniseries, he pays a dear price for that just two years and one minute after the explosion. But in April of 1986, the question is this. Can he and the response team and the rest of the plant workers and firefighters be able to control the fallout because they've put their lives on the line in order to save the lives of tens and perhaps hundreds of millions? Mm. Yes. And things might not stop at just one explosion because as nuclear physicist Ulana Komiuk, played by Emily Watson, knows... There's the looming threat of a second explosion that could devastate the continent, a horrific possibility that she feverishly attempts to warn Valeria of. Plus, despite seemingly insurmountable government obstacles and disinformation, sound familiar? Mm. She will stop at nothing to get to the bottom of just how all this happened. But what about that government? Hmm? What's going on there? Well, there's Soviet Deputy Prime Minister Boris Cherbina, played by Stellan Skarsgård, who's assigned by the Kremlin, which means by Gorbachev himself, who's a character in the series, to lead the government commission on Chernobyl in the hours immediately following the accident. And at first, Boris isn't so open to what Valeri has to say. He just can't believe that things are all as bad as, you know, he says. Even still, as we know from science, nuclear fallout causes radioactive contamination, a nasty thing indeed. And in this miniseries, we see how that contamination affects the lives of the first responders, especially including Ludmila Ignatenko, played by Jesse Buckley, who's the star of Wild Rose, which releases in theaters this June, and her firefighter husband, Vasily, played by the terrors, Adam Nagaitis. In addition, Valeri comes up with a decontamination plan complete with human risks. But he receives vital assistance and correction from Ulana on that count. And so, the ultimate question for this five-part miniseries is this. Will Ulana, along with Valerian Boris, who has an abrupt change of heart after he discovers the truth, be able to expose the facts about Chernobyl? Or will they find their lives and reputations in ruin as a result instead? After all, as Valeri says, every lie we tell incurs a debt to the truth. And with that, writer, creator, and executive producer Craig Mazin has tackled a subject that's quite the departure from his previous work as a comedy writer. (laughs) Oh, He's taken all of his research into one of the worst man-made catastrophes and created a miniseries that not only exposes the truth about the past and memorializes the brave men and women who made sacrifices to keep people safe and to fight against a culture of disinformation, but also serves as a warning for us today. And in the first episode, 
were introduced to the poor firefighters who were tasked with putting out what they think is a normal fire and to the workers at the plant who know that nothing's right despite their boss's contention that it's no big deal. And while I wouldn't call the first episode gripping because that's not quite the right word, I would call it chilling. In addition, while the depiction of the first few hours after the explosion may not have required the entire first episode, it was an effective introduction to this series. And then the second episode comes. And in that episode, we're properly introduced to Valeri, Boris, and Ulana. And let me tell you, that the cumulative effect of watching the disaster begin in episode one, seeing the people in the know hammer in the scope of the current and upcoming devastation in episode two was stellar. And this is why I strongly suggest that you binge watch Chernobyl. Yes. While it will be a rough, suspenseful watch, you should binge it if you can because... If you wait for all five episodes to be available, you'll be able to experience the full power of this miniseries. I'm telling you, when I rolled into episode two, right after episode one, I was gripped. I was holding my breath, gritting my teeth, clutching the armrests on my seat, and shaking my head. I mean, wow. it has the feel of a great British spy thriller. And the thing is that, as they take you step by step through exactly what's going on in contrast to certain government officials' attempts to mislead and cover up, both the science and its very real ramifications on a personal and a continental level are always clear. These people don't just sit around talking as a stalling tactic. Oh, no. What they're talking about is of consequence in the moment and the urgency is palpable. I mean, that's what I'm talking about, Game of Thrones. However, Wait a minute, shade. I do have to say that during your binge, you'll likely encounter one problem, folks. These are British actors in Stellan Skarsgård playing Soviets, but they speak in their native dialects. Okay. At first, I found—I mean, I found that distracting. Come on. However. As you get to the end of episode one and move into episode two, it probably won't matter much. It's that good. And a big reason why is that this creative team, crew, and cast form a well-oiled machine. I mean, just look at Emily Watson as Ulana. From her opening moments in episode two, she conveys Ulana's intelligence and understated concern masterfully. And then there's Stellan Skarsgård as Boris with his gravelly voice and hunched over tree trunk of a body. Stellan is fully believable as a man who commands a room without having to raise his voice. And then there's the great Jared Harris as Valeri. And I've got to tell you that after watching Jared Harris in this and considering the great work that he's done before, he has become one of my all time favorite actors, all time. I mean, just look at how he finds every single thought and phrases his lines. The man is a master. And by the way, I've highlighted just three, three members of Chernobyl's expansive and commendable cast. And so my hat goes off to everyone involved here. And unless the final three episodes take an unexpected turn for the worse, which they won't, Chernobyl must be recognized during award season because these people came to work, period. Quite a review from the critic. <laughs> I mean, he's basically saying it's the best thing right now. To his little TV palette. So 
we're going to go with it. Um, uh, however, we're going to stick with HBO and we're going to do a check-in. Uh, this is actually literally mid-series check-in, season eight. It's episode three, we're currently in. And we're checking in with the critic on the ever so popular Game of Thrones. The only thing that can d- dethrone the Game of Thrones right now is Avengers Endgame. <laughs> <laughs> um, and after a while, Game of Thrones, of course, during its finale, will dethrone it. <laughs> um, what's going on? We're checking in. Well, you know. <laughs> I talked about episode one of the season and then episode two happened and it was more talking. Let me tell y'all something. <laughs> Here we go. What I was talking about in Chernobyl, there's a way to do talking when the urgency is there. Mm. This show, we are in season eight. When we're wrapped, ref, there will be 73 episodes of Game of Thrones. Dear God, I'm never going to catch up. <laughs> so keep that in mind. And when it has wrapped, I will explain to you exactly why I have a problem with all the talking. I will explain, but I will save that for later. But now what I would have done actually is taken the first two episodes of season eight and made them one episode. I think that would have fixed every problem. The pacing would have been better. I'm sorry. I just don't need to see all these people catch up again and like have revelations that I already know. I just, whatever. But episode three, (laughs) the battle of Winterfell. This is what I'm talking about. Oh, here we go. There he likes it. Okay. We had dragons. Okay. And we had Daenerys making a mistake. Of course. Okay. Whatever. Fine. We had Bran. And Bran was connected to the redemption of Theon. Yes. We had White Walkers and Whites. The White Walkers controlling the Whites. We got the Night King doing it. I mean, and the Whites. It's like we, it's like this, ref. It's like we went from The Walking Dead into World War Z. Oh, wow. You know, when you're talking about whites being controlled, I have to, I don't know what we're saying here. So the whites are are like the zombie-like beings that are controlled by the White Walkers, the undead. And gotcha. it's W-I-G-H-T. There we go. Let's clarify for the listeners who don't want to. Yeah, if you, yes. <laughs> They're so like, we're oh, not talking God. about white people. We're talking about <laughs> That would be an awkward show. No, it actually, I don't know. It so, sounds like something Spike Lee would write. But anyway, moving on. So, I have, and look, it was frightening. I mean, it really was frightening. Okay, we have the return of Lady Melisandre in glorious fashion. I mean, she came and she knew she was leaving. It was like that. We had the return of Beric Dondarrion and maybe the. Well, we had to say goodbye. <laughs> I'll just say that right here. But that was great to see. And Melisandre was very important. She told Arya something, something, something. And then at the end, let me tell you something about Arya. We have been waiting eight seasons for this. For all of the struggles and the training, going with the faceless men, all of this stuff, learning how to fight. Did Arya not bring it in this episode? Let me tell y'all, and I'm not going to spoil it. Don't spoil. But at the end, I look, I jumped out of my seat. 
<laughs> that is what I'm talking about. Now, does this mean that Game of Thrones has to have some big battle throughout a whole uh, hour and a half episode for it to work? No, but it does have to have urgency. That is not always the case. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it chess. You can call it, oh, you know, like we're doing some sort of uh, mind games on people. The point is, a lot of these people aren't even smart enough for me to care. So let's get to the urgency. Let's keep this going. And the question now is, Ref, what now? Well, we always have to remember in storytelling what the title is. Yes. It's Game of Thrones. I just hope that they haven't peaked in this episode three. But boy, oh boy, I'm still watching. Now, has it been worth it? Because of this episode? No. Oh. 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 But it was great. It was great. And look, I always tell you the truth from my perspective. It was great. <laughs> if, 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 if you could see it, it would have been a mic drop, everybody. That was, that was the appropriate timing for a mic drop maybe we can insert and little lady liana i mean they had oh. so many little things ref i mean you know because i'm just going off of my memory here <laughs> but you know what what they did to the dothraki y'all need to stop oh i see y'all dothraki and the unsullied if you know if you watch you know what i'm talking about y'all need to stop with that putting them in the front <laughs> <laughs> i have no idea what you're talking about but there you have it. That's our Game of Thrones check-in. We will do that each episode. We'll try to do that each episode to get the refs. I'm just get the, get the refs. No, get the get the refs. Me right riled up and asking what the heck are you talking about? Talking about destroying and controlling white people. I don't even know what kind of show this is. All I know. Well, is you just started it. <laughs> All I know is that I have to keep up with Game of Thrones because Game of Thrones is has left the building and so has these other shows if you don't hurry up and get to hbo and netflix and all these other things we're trying to keep you in the know so stay right here with why watch that thanks for listening for additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea, and we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.